Kiara, Nihao, and hello. Welcome to the Chewy Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Camille Yang. This is a special episode featured a guest speaker, Eric Jorgensen, at 1729 Writers Cohort Two. 1729 Writers is a group of writers inside of the 1729 online community. We explore issues related to the network state, seek truth, wealth, and health, and share our ideas and thoughts in public. It's a great pleasure to have Eric attend one of our weekly community calls and discuss his process of writing the Almanac of Naval Ravikant and the Almanac of Balaji Shrinivasan, the framework of leverage and productizing oneself, followed by the Q&A session with the community members. I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks a lot for accepting this invitation, joining us today. Many of us know you as a, the author of the bestseller book, The Almanac of Naval Revocant. But in fact, you have so many titles, such as investor, podcaster, writer, and sandwiches eater. I remember, yes. <laughs> I remember when I first subscribed to your newsletter. You ask people to share the best sandwiches you ever had, and、uh, I was in Manchester back then. So I sent you the most famous Northern England sandwiches, and you reply back. I think that's the beginning of our conversation about two years ago. And、uh, during these two years, you have done so many different things. I wonder how you will introduce yourself to someone you first met in life, and、uh, what are you currently working on? Yeah, I have done、uh, basically too many things for the last two years, and struggled with that. And no,、uh, like don't take my own advice on focusing.、Um, so I'm getting better at that. And now I basically introduce myself as a writer and investor. That is, that is at least what I'm going to like stick with for this. I, I make books and I invest in early stage tech startups. Cool. So can you walk us through the journey of writing the? Almanac of Naval Ravikant. I know you have been following Naval for a decade, way before everybody knows him from his famous Twitter thread. So, what's the whole story behind writing this book? Yeah, I mean, I, I first heard of Naval when I was probably nineteen or twenty, and someone was like, "Hey, if you want to understand the startup world in Silicon Valley, follow Naval and follow Paul Graham." And read everything that they write, and and they will like steer you the right direction. So I had been following him since then, and that was, I mean, he was just blogging at Venture Hacks back then. So you know, nowhere near sort of the Naval scale that we like know today. And I'd followed him for a long time. I'd learned a lot from him, and I was kind of between projects in like 2017 or so,、um, side projects. And I just tweeted out this sort of kernel of an idea, which was、uh, after hearing Naval on the Farnham Street podcast,、mm. the Knowledge Project, and I was like, "Man, that episode was so good! I listened to it like three times." There's a few things in there that just like hit me, and I was like, "Oh my god, that is!" I want everyone in the world to access that <laughs> that、yeah. piece of information, that like unlock that just helps you really understand how the world works or a new way to live. And、um, you know, it's clear to me that podcasts and Twitter are both kind of these bizarre subcultures, not accessible to everybody or interesting to everybody. So I.、Um, I just sort of proposed the idea of putting this into a book and compiling some transcripts. And to my surprise, you know, Naval retweeted that and said,、mm-hmm. you know, happy to support and contribute whatever. But it was really just like a half-assed kernel of an idea before he happened to see that tweet and retweet it. And that sort of, to me, took it. I was like, oh, now this is one a real project real thing, to、yeah. something that like I want him to be. Proud of existing in the world, and for it to be high quality enough that he's like that guy's not an idiot. So it was a really good like forcing function for like I will complete this project, I will make it excellent, and it took you know it was also instant scope creep. I went from like oh maybe I'll like combine a few transcripts to like oh I will make Port Charlie's Almanac for Naval. I will like、mm-hmm. do the maximum amount possible. And there was actually an early version of the manuscript that was like 600 pages. It was like everything he ever said about anything in one place. And、uh, I gave it to some early sort of peer readers and reviewers, and they were like, "You want me to read what? Like this is too much, man."、Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I trimmed it down a lot 
for, yeah. for what became like the final book, but everything else is still like available online and everything. But yeah, that, that was like just started the evolutionary process of a few years of work that eventually became that book. So before when you start to write that book, did you have the estimates time? Like probably it will take me six months to write, but uh, eventually it takes like years of working. Yeah, I, I definitely thought it would be, well, well it, like I thought it would be a short project because I thought it would be a small project. And then when Naval was like, yeah, let's do it. I'll give you everything you need. And I was like, you know, went and found a bunch of sources. I was like, oh, there's a hundred sources here. It's like a million words plus this old Twitter archive. This is going to take me years to do it right. And I was like, I, you know, it's more important to do it right than to do it in three months. I was just like totally off on what I thought this thing was. So yeah, I just sort of, you know, I, I think like the craftsmanship won out over speed. And so mm -hmm. I was like antsy to publish it, but I was more anxious that it be excellent. I was like, if it takes three years to make it perfect, then I'll just wait. And it was hard because he kept publishing new stuff, you know, yeah, so exactly. like <laughs> two years into work, he goes on Rogan and I'm like, oh my God, there's a bunch of new content. Yeah, I have I to like see. sort through and sort of weave into everything else that, that is happening. But yeah, it, it sort of worked out perfectly. And, and I'm, you know, proud of where it ended up. And I'm glad I didn't overly rush it for, for a book specifically. You know, I've, mm -hmm. I've had the opposite approach with, with blogs that I've run where it's like, you just ship it every week, no matter how good yeah. it is. Cause it, you know, you got to ship, but the books, the books are a, sort of a different game. Exactly. Yeah. So how do you overcome the obstacles? Do you, have you ever encountered writer's blog? Cause there's so many materials you can use, but still when you put it together, yeah. how is the process look like? Yeah. Something that I've, I've found that I thought was an interesting lesson that I didn't anticipate is that there's like two kinds of stuck. There's stuck that is just like, oh, this part sucks and I just need to slog through it. And there's stuck where you need the, you need the dust, dust to settle and you need to see your work with clear eyes and you, no amount of activity makes that happen faster. And you just need to put it down and go do something else. Like learning sort of when you're like, I need to power through and when you're like, I need to, I need to take two weeks off is a, is a really helpful sort of thing because seeing it with fresh eyes really changes it makes it easier to pick back up and do different things or edit differently um, or just be honest with your, yourself like separating your work your like editing self from your writing yeah. self is sometimes really hard and the only way to do it is is you know give it some time so that you're not punishing yourself for the work mm -hmm. that you just did true so how often do you need to chat with Neville to get his approval or you have the total freedom to do whatever you <laughs> Nibal... want Naval was, um, he was very like hands off. Uh, so every like, I don't know, three to six months, I would send him an update and just be like, Hey, here's where the status is. But we never talked live. It was all like email or Twitter DMs. Um, and I think his, you know, knowing him and his high leverage mode, he was kind of like, do whatever you want while costing me the least amount of time and effort and not yeah. like, as long as it's like done in good faith. And so I was kind of like, okay, he never said that. I was just like, I understood enough. I was yeah. studying the dude for three years. So I was like, I think I know what you want out of this relationship. So let me like try to provide that for you. you know, Bology, the book that I'm working on now is very different. Mm -hmm. Bology is like, I am invested in making this successful. Like, tell me what you need. I'm happy to like fill stuff in. We can, so t two weeks ago, we spent probably six or eight hours on Zoom, like wow. filling in the gaps and expanding ideas and basically conducting my own like somewhat off the record interview so that I can fold that stuff into the book, which is just different than, you know, Naval and I, one, we've been through it too. Balaji reached out after the Naval book and said like, you know, I, I feel like this would be really helpful for people, for me too. I was like, yeah, bro, you need an editor. Mm -hmm. So like we're, we're, we're like compiling some of these and filtering down to some of the like, what I think are the most timeless and universally applicable ideas. So sort of in the same way, Naval has said a lot of stuff and a lot of interesting things, sure. you know, about the blockchain or the future of education or investing or building startups. And it was a really a process to filter down to, you know, what is the most universally helpful so the most people on the earth can get a benefit from it. And also, you know, it'll be as relevant in 10 years or hopefully 50 mm. as it is today. And going through the same exercise with Balaji is just a little different because he's so, uh, a lot of his stuff is contemporary or geopolitical or predictive, mm -hmm. like for a specific moment in time. But I think we're getting there. So I, I think this will be hopefully a really interesting and helpful book as well.
Yeah, I noticed that Nevo is very good at narrowing down the ideas and the sharing the bite-sized wisdom. However, biology yeah. is the total almost the opposite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he enjoys expanding his ideas and focus on seeking yeah. the fundamental truth and building the future. Because his content is very contemporary and maybe the future leading ish. But how do you like define the topic? For example, he he says something, but、uh, by the time you finish the book, it turns to be wrong or something changes. Yeah. yeah. So how do you overcome this kind of challenge? Yeah, I, I I try to filter for those ideas that don't change and that are always going to be useful or interesting to、mm. people. So I found the, the process that I took is with both of these books is starting with basically their entire Twitter export, and so I've got. You know, twenty thousand tweets in a spreadsheet, and I go through and do like zero or one, good or you know, good quote unquote or bad quote unquote. Like so, just filtering for is this a timeless, excellent sort of universal, well phrased piece of content idea or not? And that takes it to maybe ten to twenty percent of the total tweets. So then you've got you know, you go from twenty thousand to like a few three or four thousand, and then I go through and categorize all those tweets. And so I'm like, oh, that one's about technology. That one's about the blockchain. That one's about this. That's about.、This. And so I end up with these kind of like buckets of ideas that he has. And there's a lot of things that are like trying to come up with an example. Like a bunch are geopolitical, and like all the geopolitical stuff pretty much is contemporary. And so there's not a lot of that in there, but there's a little bit about like how he thinks about geopolitics or like the long arc of it. But there's a lot of stuff about you know that that's where the main themes. And so you're like, oh, there's like hundreds and hundreds of tweets about technology, hundreds and hundreds、yeah. of tweets about truth. Hundreds and hundreds of tweets about you know hiring or like just like figuring out sort of what are the things the themes that he keeps re- returning to, and then those become a little bit the big buckets and sometimes they mash together and sometimes they、mm-hmm. separate and and then you kind of sort of move that into an outline and pull stuff from the longer prose into the bigger picture and that's sort of how the themes emerge and you try to pick the themes that you think are evergreen and universal and that you want to. Put forth, and you think are true to Balaji's sort of core message,、um, and so that it, those are both like truth and technology, both kind of jumped out to me early. And then it was the process of like finding, you know, I don't know if he ever said there are four kinds of truth. Here are the four types. Like here we go. But like in the book, there are, you know, those are organized into four chapters where it's like scientific、mm-hmm. truth, political truth. Economic truth and cryptographic truth, grouping those together, finding the right sort of supporting pieces to make each of those ideas clear, and then just like threading. You know, I, I think of this like a jigsaw puzzle. Really, like、mm. part of it is collecting pieces, part of it is sorting the pieces, part of it is finding like the edges where they fit together. And those are kind of different types of work, but that is like how it feels to kind of be in there doing that work. I guess that's how editing is, though I never have been trained to do editing, and、mm. I don't know how it.、Go. I just kind of feel like I just picked up a bunch of puzzle pieces and started trying to like develop the judgment to make something great. You know, when you like, I think I tweeted one time like, if you have enough skin in the game, everyone's a perfectionist. Yeah.、Um, and like, I just have a high bar for making sure that all those pieces really fit together, and I know that like once we package and publish this thing, it's going to live on in its current form forever, and. Be hard to change, so we may as well take the time to get it right now. And especially the second time, we're like working on the Deval book, I had no idea how far it would go, or how many people would read it, or like if anybody、mm. would give a shit. So I am even like it is a. I was very motivated by like make something that Deval is proud of, and now I'm kind of like, oh shit, millions of people are going to probably read this、yeah. over time. Like I can have a, an enormous impact if I do this right. So like I'm going to do it right. And these are ideas that I deeply believe in. You know, I want I want people to understand the power of technology to solve problems and create abundance. And I deeply want to evangelize those ideas. And I want people to be able to think independently, determine and develop their own truth, see through the various bullshits that are being peddled intentionally or unintentionally, and feel agency over, you know, how they can contribute to creating a brighter future. And those are kind of the themes of this this book. Yeah, good point. So I wonder, how's your life changed before publishing Nevo's book? Because I know it's、mm. uh, yeah, it turns out to be a very big book. Even in China, there's like millions of people recommend that book. It's very interesting.、Yeah. So how how's your life changed after writing that? 
Um, I get a lot more emails for better or worse, uh, a little harder to focus on the oh. next book. It, it's just a different mix of distractions. You know, like I, I still had a job when I wrote the Almanac of Naval and this mm. like that has set me up to be able to kind of like work on my own stuff full time and given me the like, you know, it covers enough of my costs to be able to start investing, like start a fund instead of just invest my own money. It sets me up to work on this next book a little bit faster and more intensely than I was able to before, just kind of nights and weekends. It is helpful there. It is also like mediumly distracting in that you also have all of the work, you know, you handle the translations, various requests, podcast interviews, yeah. speaking events, just kind of good karma stuff like mm -hmm. that, where you're like, let me, you know, let me help and give back and contribute to all the people who are kind of helping to make this thing successful. So yeah, it's a, it's a different mix. But it's a it's a really feels really good to have a like there's definitely a little bit of a change in when you have one specific clear like thing that you have done that you are known for people will like it, it's almost like a key like you will get introduced as like oh this is eric like he wrote this book that you yeah. have probably heard of and people are kind of like oh okay like i will entertain this conversation or mm -hmm. i will respond to this email or let you invest in the company or sort of whatever it is so i think something that i I'd had that in small doses before of like, I had written a blog that was, had done moderately well, but the company that I worked at ended up selling for not a good outcome. And so like, that was never really like a big credibility indicator. Um, so having like, I underestimated the impact on sort of the opportunities that come or the mm -hmm. conversations that you can have when there's like one clear sort of, you know, piece of work that you have that is, is credible unto itself that people are like, oh, that was really good. I'm going to listen to you for at least at least a minute or two. Um, yeah. I, when I look at your website, I say you take Nivo's idea of leverage into a very detailed course and write some blogs yeah. about that. Because uh, Nivo labeled and framed this concept of leverage. I wonder what's your understanding of leverage and why do you think it's so important? You know, there's a lot of ideas that he has that are kind of like complete unto themselves. And to me, leverage was the idea left in that book that I was like, oh, I want so much more about this. Like he showed us the door, but he didn't map the whole maze. Mm -hmm. And I was like, there's so much there. Um, it explains, you know, it, it is one of those things that like explains a lot of the world that you see. It lets you predict the outcomes of current trends that you see, and it actually should affect your own planning. So there's not a lot that is kind of like explanatory and predictive and influential as far as ideas go. So when I, you know, I, even when I was working on the book, I was like digging, 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 trying to find more stuff on leverage that he had said and like wanting to kind of continue to explore that. And then it basically, as soon as I was done, I was like, all right, I, I want to like keep writing about this. I want to formulate my own kind of frameworks for it. I want to almost first principles and like go back to like, all right, what's the actual physics mental model? What is the math behind it? How does it work? What are the other examples? How can I fill out like case studies? How can I map? How, how can I, once I have this framework, how can I sort of apply it to all of these different like people's success stories that I've seen and see if it fits with all of those and just like bang that mental model into my head and develop a bunch of ways to think about it. And so I, I did some of that work. And then in building the course, it was really, that was really like me teaching myself and like recording everything along the way. So it's like, if you, if you want the same like, stuff in your head that I just put in there for me, like you can go through this. So that idea is probably the most life changing on the, on the wealth side of things of just like learning to see the world in leverage and think in leverage. Mm -hmm. And it, it drove a lot of my thinking about investing and reinvesting in my business and how I prioritize different types of work in my world. So yeah, I think that's a really, really interesting one. I'm happy to kind of keep going into that, but I don't want to turn this into a leverage speech unless you guys want that. I think we're very interested to know because for me, I, yeah. <laughs> for my understanding, is the leverage can be the human capital code or media. Can you elaborate more? Yeah, this is, so I think Naval's definition of leverage is actually like slightly narrower than mine. So I, I really tried to like step all the way back. And so to me, leverage is a model that is like, it is very similar to compounding and it like sits mm -hmm. right next to it in my head, my lattice work. So it is like based in math. It is one of those things that is like quite counterintuitive and seems impossible when you like do the math. You're like, I should not be able to lift 
a hundred thousand pounds under any circumstances. I, like I should not be able to earn a million dollars a year under any circumstances. <laughs> like that, that seems impossible and unfair and um, basically against the laws of physics. But in the same way that compounding gets like mind bogglingly big at, you know, at the end of the exponential or at the end of the sort of chart, leverage is the same way. And if you, you know, I, I can deadlift like 300 pounds with a 10 foot lever or 16 foot lever. I think I can lift like 2000 pounds, uh, which is more than the heaviest deadlifters in the world who have ever lived. Um, but with like a 300 foot long lever, I can lift 10,000 pounds or 50,000 pounds. Like it gets insane very quickly. And so to me, the, the, the four buckets of leverage then are tools, which Naval tends to omit completely product which I'm happy to distinguish in a second. Uh, pro that is to me, that is like a product of your mind. Um, so a tool is like something like an ax, a product might be a map to where the trees are like, so that other people can do something that only you can do currently. So a product uh, is like capturing something that is in your head that only, you know, that can be through writing that can be through an algorithm that can be through media. So to me, media and code and even like, directions or standard operating procedures or whatever all of those are sort of like subsets of a, a product and then there's people which is relatively self-explanatory um although broader than his examples usually show and then there's capital which is like a little bit the loop back to the rest of them but it's also important in its own right and it's also tends to be broader than people think my favorite example of that so i, I interviewed nick huber who started a self-storage business and like his very first we did a very leverage focused interview and i tried to like walk him through in my framework which he had never heard before all of the stuff that we all of the big leaps of progress in his career came from like reinvesting in specific pieces of leverage and he got his start when he was in school still and he had paid for a 12-month lease but he in his his dorm room or apartment or whatever and he only needed nine months of it and so he had prepaid three months of an empty room Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, I don't want to waste it. I will use my leftover print credits from my college library and I will put up flyers and I will lease out the space of this room that I have already prepaid as storage. And I was like, oh, that is an unconventional use of capital leverage. Like you have already invested that money in this mm -hmm. thing that's no longer recognizable as like a bank balance. Like you would never say that's cash. It's sunk cost from one perspective, but it's also an opportunity like a capital opportunity to sell that and True. turn it into cash and then reinvest that into whatever comes next. So I thought that was, um, you know, all of those are a little bit broader than you hear at first. When you hear people, you're like people leverage, you're like, Oh, I have to hire somebody, but also like Fiverr is people leverage. Also followers on Twitter are people leverage. There's sort of fans like voluntary and involuntary. There's agencies. Um, there's part-time there's like ladders sort of up from, small, low risk, low cost ways to use each of these types. Mm -hmm. And you sort of layer on complexity and cost. And as each as you like prove that you it's, it's like a video game, like, as you use each little lever, well, they stack mm -hmm. up and enable you to like purchase and apply the next lever and the next lever and the next lever. And if you drastically simplify a business like, like logging is the example I use a lot of like, if you're just a guy standing in a in the woods, you can collect sticks until and and like bare, barely make a subsistence in existence until you can afford an axe with an axe all of a sudden you can chop down like two trees an mm -hmm. hour when you save up enough and invest in a chainsaw you can drop 10 trees an hour you save up enough and invest in a tractor and a helper now you can do 20 trees an hour and then you sort of continually compound leverage and increasing like complexity cost and skill frankly because you need to know what you're doing with it if you just went out there with a tractor but you hadn't learned the lessons that you learned all the way up through the other pieces of leverage you know you you can lose more faster by applying more leverage if you don't if you, you know if you don't know what's going on before that yeah true i i forgot who said that compounding is the world wonder like eighth world wonder and yeah. warren buffett in his 60s he achieved the, he makes more because he never stopped the compounding trend yeah so it's super interesting idea. yeah yeah, he has had basically two plus entire careers. I mean, you could see Warren Buffett as starting his career when he was like nine years old and mm -hmm. doing it until he's 90. Like, that's longer than most people work. And if he would have retired at 55 or 60, like he could have financially, like nobody would have ever heard of him. He would have been a totally 
like uh, above average but unremarkable um, sort of investor. And I think leverage is, is similar, right? Like the people who look at the world or the, the outcomes and say like, oh, that's unfair. That person shouldn't mm. have that much or shouldn't have achieved that or don't understand why like, you know, Joe Rogan is making so much money or Oprah or whatever. It's like, you're missing, you're missing the leverage. Like they have accumulated and wisely reinvested in longer and longer levers over and over and over and over again. And the only reason they have those resources to reinvest is because we all collectively like voted with our attention or resources or whatever for them the previous sort of cycle and then they got that and then they reinvested and they reinvested so yeah i I think it's a really interesting sort of way to to see the world and see and and understand how some people can get so much done right like i I always like to say there's there's one name on the front of the book but if you go to the back there's there's 50. like ray dalio is a great example of this like you're like, how does Ray Dalio do so much? Like mm. he's writing a book, he's a philanthropist, he's running a fund. He's like, and you go to the back of the book and he's like, I'd like to thank my personal staff of yeah. 12 and my wife's personal staff of eight. And the, my company, you know, is like, oh my God, you've got like a corporation working for literally mm. just you, not even counting the company that you actually started. And like that is, most people don't shine a light on that very often, but it is usually true that the, the, people that you look up to or see have at least in some form, some enormous leverage for Naval. It's a bunch of capital. It's a lot of Twitter followers. Um, it is a great reputation that he has sort of built over the years. It's, you know, all of the people at AngelList, you know, for Bology, it's all of us who sort of believe what he says and support mm-hmm. him and evangelize those ideas. Um, it's a probably a bunch of capital also, though he's not as much of a investor focused person as Naval. But yeah, on and on and on, sort of the the uh, the rabbit hole goes, and it's a helpful way for me to to look at the world and to sort of plan my my work. Yeah. So how do you invest yourself or productizing yourself? Yeah, I mean the the probably the the couple biggest leaps of of sort of leverage that in my life have been um, one publishing the book was probably the biggest. Second was probably hiring an assistant, which I was mm. sort of. I don't know, against, not against, I just kind of like didn't think of myself as as an assistant person until I started thinking in leverage. And I was like, I am doing a whole lot of, you know, 10 to 20 to 30 to $40 an hour tasks that just keep the boat afloat. But I also have all of this like $1,000 an hour work that I need to be doing to like do the next book or make the next investments or meet with entrepreneurs or raise more money or whatever. And like, it's just stupid to not get some help to, to do some of this stuff. And it, it was in working through building the course and thinking through this and actually like doing the math and thinking in frameworks and being like, what is the next the logical next step to do to take care of this? And I was like, all right, gotta you know, gotta get an assistant. Um, so I hired someone full time through Athena, which I'm a, a big fan of, and I have a podcast episode with the founders of Athena. Um, if, if you want to learn more about that, that's a, a, quite a cool service, and it, that has been a huge sort of step up for me you know, to help with, with research or responding to emails or taking care of some of the life things so that I can spend more time sort of working and doing stuff like this. The probably the third thing is, is investing. Um, you know, that, that is something that I thought of as like, you know, intellectually that's high leverage at the very end and you, you kind of like feel it, but it's feels it, it just the feedback loops are so slow that it's hard to think of it as a really, really high leverage activity, getting my head around that more and focusing on it and thinking of capital leverage, you know, as like, put put this money to work for you, it will yeah. take a while to come back, but it will. And in the same way, starting a fund is like, okay, it's the same motion, basically to invest 10,000 or to invest 50 or 100,000. Um, so why don't I do the work now that lets me that basically adds a lever to this thing that I'm already doing and will probably only get better at and do at a higher and higher level over the rest of my life. So no reason to delay sort of starting that fund and adding leverage to that. And, and it improved, you know, the deal flow and the outreach and everything that I got right away too. So that's been a really good sort of, I don't know, that, that prioritization has been rewarded already, I think. Yeah, that's cool. I'd like to ask you a tricky question before I hand over to 
audience, I, I think people have so many questions. So my question is, so when you work on uh, Naval and the Balaji's book, because you need to be very objectively, not to put in a lot of your thoughts, but to just uh, keep their original content. I mean, have you ever found some ideas or opinions you disagree with? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, more more with biology, actually, than yeah. with Naval. But yeah, it's a and it's an interesting thing. And I, I mm -hmm. it is not hard. I, I have like a lot of I don't know, reverence for the for these ideas. And so it's a little bit tricky. The, the hard part is to say, like, is to distinguish between, oh, that's not interesting, or I disagree with it. And so mm -hmm. if it's not interesting, I don't feel I don't have a problem removing it. If I disagree with it, but I think it's interesting and provocative and other people will strongly agree with it or that it's good to show people, then then I still include it. Um, an example, a good example from biology probably mm. is um, he's very, um, he's focused on like transhumanism and eternal youth and uh, sort of life extension, which I am, I think I'm, you know, pro science and pro uh, longer lifespan and things. Um, it is not, it's, it is not super obvious to me that we should be figuring out how to like double our lifespans until we figure out how to like change our mind. Um, so like we are already seeing like governments run by 70 and 80 year olds <laughs> kind of failing us in some ways. And I think we all know some like old racist people that are like, I don't know what would happen if you were around for 80 more years and the world kept moving and you did not. Um, so like, I, I'm confident that will work out. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Like I, I would love, uh, there's a, I think it's in the dark uh, forest book in the, the three body problem series. There's oh, something yeah. called like the mental seal, um, mm -hmm. which is like this really cool, like you can do a voluntary procedure on your brain where it basically makes you perfectly believe something like it removes all doubt about like something that you want, whether that's like patriotism or your religion mm -hmm. or, you know, love of your spouse or whatever. Um, and I was like, we need the opposite of that before we solve, solve it for like immortality um, or we are fucked. <laughs> so I, thought, I was like, ah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know that that's <laughs> obviously an objectively good idea um, as he does. But uh, I think it's really interesting and fun and to think about it, talk about it. Naval's ideas on happiness. I actually am also like, I think there's a philosophical approach and a, I think there's a practical inner pr approach that he has that's interesting. And I think there's a practical like interpersonal approach that he does not really talk about at all. Like there's some really good research that says that your relationships are a much better predictor of happiness than anything else in your life. Like uh, for a man, a relationship with his mother, if it's high quality is like the, uh, one of the biggest correlates with happiness and another, uh, some like very long term Harvard study said like, quality of your core or your like five core relationships or something is the biggest predictor mm -hmm. of happiness in your life. And on the one hand, you know, there's ancient wisdom and those are very recent studies. So I think that's meaningful um, or potentially like outweighed. Um, but I think there's something about the kind of like lonely sage in a, in a mountain cave type of happiness that is just like not quite suitable for everybody or like in, mm -hmm. incomplete as, as attractive as it is. So I, it's not so much that I disagree with it is is just like I would love to talk to him about that and like tease out the nuance or see how he actually like applies stoicism when his you know four-year-old kid is like you know crying or wants another cookie or whatever like I can't imagine him like dispensing some of his aphorisms like to a four-year-old or to his wife in the same way that he does like on Twitter um so I'm, I'm curious about I guess some of the applications but um that, I, that's yeah. not a disagreement so much Cool. Thank you so much. So where can yeah. people learn more about your work, follow your Twitter and newsletter? Yeah, uh, ejorgensen.com, I can put this in the chat, is like all, mm. that is the links to everything that I do from Twitter to podcasts to um, uh, some blog, some like inconsistent uh, <laughs> blogging, but that links to the books and the fund if you want. So yeah, and I don't know, whatever whatever is interesting to you there it's kind of all all starts there great yeah okay if uh, anyone here have a question please feel free to unmute yourself or put your question in the chat hey eric uh thanks so much for coming on this is this is really interesting um i'm curious as someone who has spent a lot of time studying these these people uh you know naval and balaji are there things about them maybe sort of upstream 
that are really core to who they are and how they operate that people don't know about from just following them on Twitter or reading their things that you have sort of discerned with your work? Yeah, I think um, neither book really goes super deep into like childhood. It's kind of like addresses it obliquely, but I do think like a lot of personalities are formed, you know, relatively early in life and by sort of formative events. And those are, since these aren't biographies, I feel like I really try to focus on like applicable ideas, but I think there's, there are definitely like biographical details about them that are either very quickly passed over or not in there that I think are really interesting, as you say, upstream pieces. So like, you know, Naval talked about like, he grew up with his brother. He had a mom who loved him a lot, but a family that was kind of challenged and like they had a little bit of a hard scrabble sort of upbringing. And so I think he's, I think that he has a core of love, but also was very like um, felt removed and, and sort of like as an immigrant child is very like, let me study how this works and figure out how to work the system. And like that shows a little bit in him. I think uh, Balaji had a, probably a more economically improved, but a similar sort of like immigrant kid sort of challenged in the schoolyard. So I think he learned to like be a fighter and like be a little scrappier and more independent. Almost, um, I don't know, I think think he just like expects a fight and I don't think he cares nearly as much about like his inner peace or like attending. Naval had a really rough sort of like first 10 year career where he was like cheated by his VCs and founders. And so like um, became very sort of disillusioned with the existing sort of core of like VC and startup land, which is, I think is what led him to start AngelList um, and, and started with like piss and vinegar. So like, that, that's a, that's an interesting one. Yeah. I, I, I think like they don't talk about it much because it's probably not that much fun for a person to like draw like, hey, let me talk about this super shitty thing I went through and then like how it motivated my life. But like, if you do the digging, you can usually find and at least draw rough correlations between like interesting or perhaps shitty life experiences and like how that manifested in sort how that, how that seed sort of grew into some accomplishment later on. And I, I hope people write, you know, biographies of them later. Like, I think that would also be a really interesting approach. I don't know that either of them would be like, yeah, great, let's do that. Um, but it's certainly doable and there's plenty of like unauthorized biographies in the world of people all the time. So, um, it's, it is doable, but I, I think that's an interesting question and something to pursue. Certainly on the media side, when you see that recommended reading, you can see a lot of their influences. Um, and it's interesting to sort of like see who their favorite authors are and then read what is like upstream of them in a media and influence sense. Awesome. Thank you. It's pretty cool to talk to a fire cat. I've never done that before. As you know, Balaji is really big on pseudonymity, so I really try to lean into that. I was going to say, you got a pretty big vocabulary for a Pokemon. Reading this question in the chat, when you're working on such long-term projects, how do you think about setting short-term goals and accountability and getting things published? That's a good question. I have developed sort of a... I do, in, in the course, I do these, like, uh, one of the frameworks we use is a leverage map. And so I do a leverage map every quarter and just kind of, like, personally chart what my leverage is, like what I've got working for me, whether that's, you know, products or capital or people or tools um, sort of at work. And so every quarter I sort of check in on that. Um, Very long term, I have like, I don't know, a little bit of a like life vision that is more about direction than any particular achievement. But I know I want to like do this kind of work with these kind of people with this kind of flexibility. And I know and I want to kind of like pick leverage things that help me move in that direction. The more tactical planning stuff every month, I, I follow this guy, Sebastian Marshall, who runs ultra working, which is like a kind of opinionated specific. Does anybody else do ultra working or heard of it or read any of his stuff? He, he's a little bit of a nut, but it's like kind of perfect for this sort of thing. I'm going to have him on the podcast soon too. So he's got a, a, like a monthly, I think it's a free monthly planning framework that is like a spreadsheet. And it just kind of takes you through like what happened last month? What are your biggest opportunities? What are you worried about? What are your obstacles? Um, you know, what are the like buckets of life that you're trying to work on? And just helps you like tr- triage like a month's worth of work and prioritize it. Um, so I do that every month. And then like basically every day I just sit down and like do a, you know, one, two, three or one big thing and a few little things that I do in Notion. Um, 
So that is kind of enough, like big to small for me. Um, but some of it is, it's tricky with a thing like a book. Cause sometimes it's obvious that you're like, all right, for a month, I'm just going to be like editing transcripts or, or like combining these things. And I, um, it's also actually also ultra working that lets you do like work cycles. And so when you're working by yourself, sometimes it's just like easy to feel like you worked all day and not actually get anything done. Um, and so they kind of let you say like, I'm going to schedule a four hour, like work cycle, you know, 30 minutes on 10 minutes off and just like blow through that. And so sometimes I set my to-do list as like, you know, do six cycles of work this week, like today or zero tomorrow or whatever. So, and sometimes the work is just figuring out what work comes next. Like, especially with a book, you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to work on the book. And then you like to start writing or, or whatever and find out you're like, uh, actually like. I need to be starting over at the beginning or like rereading it or whatever. Um, and so sometimes you just kind of like start working and it's feeling like you're like, I'm doing the wrong kind of work right now. I need to like step back or reprioritize or whatever. And that's just like part of the maze, I think. Yeah. I'll, I'll uh, jump in with another question. Um, Eric, thanks so much for taking the time. This was awesome. So I was wondering if you could dive into your investing strategy at all and what are some of the companies that you look at and what are some of your criteria? And yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Sure. Yeah. Um, so our fund, we do a rolling fund. Um, I've got two other partners in it um, who are both friends of mine and experienced angel investors, Al and Bo. Um, we are all kind of like, I don't know, founder operators who have been angel investing. Um, and this is kind of like a slightly scaled up and professionalized version of that. So our process um, we have a very broad thesis, like there's almost no technology or industry or market that we wouldn't invest in if we felt like we found the right the right founders and something could get big enough. I don't know, criteria or something like it, it almost always comes from our network or one degree of our network. It is, it is especially with like being a smaller fund, not having any staff. Like we don't have and doing other projects like we, we do. We are not like Sequoia and we're like, oh, OK, like let's go do all the due diligence and like dispatch all the associates to like go check everything out. Um, and so having sort of that like pre diligence done by the network and the people that we already kind of like know and trust um, is really, really helpful to kind of enable um, the type of investing that we do, which is like, you know, earlier stage, sometimes there's not a ton of stuff to go on. Like you don't always are like, Oh, there's 20 customers who are all really happy and we can talk to some of them. Like, Sometimes there's not even a quite a completed product yet. So often starts in the network. Uh, the most common reasons that we pass, which I actually think is a helpful, maybe the most helpful way to answer the question is like either the technology is not new enough or we cannot figure out how the company could get big enough. Um, there's a lot of companies out there that are like, this would be a great 10 or 20 X, the founders would probably do pretty well. I think they have high odds of success to that level, but we are looking for hundred X outcomes, not 10 X outcomes. And like, even if the founders do well, there is a scenario where like, we don't do well by our LPs and investors, even if we get a 10 X here, because it's just not enough to kind of like move the needle um, for the whole fund. So I hate it when I say move the needle, sometimes it's involuntary and I just, I'm, I'm better than that. I promise. So that those are the most common reasons to pass, um, aside from just kind of being like, I don't have enough information about, you know, this market or these founders or whatever else to, to go through. But to me, the more like sci-fi, the better. Like my favorite investment company we've invested in so far is like doing these enormous, uh, like six rotor helicopter drones that are flown by AI and designed to build like arbitrary structures out of Adobe. So like they can build an entire house by like picking and placing like bricks of mud and then flying over with an impact hammer to like hammer it all together and smooth it out. And it looks like Star Wars. It is absolutely awesome. Um, it's early stage like there, but it, when you kind of, it turns what is like currently a four vendor, like drywall, the framing, insulating, drywall, like spackle and painting process into a one vendor robotics only sort of like pure electricity, way cheaper cost of materials building that is more eco-friendly, captures more carbon, um, is built faster and less labor and more sort of like, uh, 
location independent. Uh, like it is, it is kind of really crazy what they, what they can do. It is, you know, very early, but there's really scrappy, super smart founders. Um, so I think they'll figure it out and hopefully like, you know, we will all buy houses built by drones in the future, but that makes way more sense to me than like a, a factory approach or a gigantic, like capital intensive, like 3d printer that you have to like go put on a perfectly flat plot of land that like does concrete. I don't know. Um, so that one's kind of out there, but I, I like it a lot. Awesome. Thank very solar punk. I love it. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. <laughs> so like, yeah. I love solar punk shit. So like any you you gotta find any like solar punk thesis uh companies, like hook me up. I'm in awesome. I, that's actually I'm gonna do the almanac of Elon after this. Um I I'm excited to get to work on that one. Um and after that I, I actually think I'm gonna attempt to write some solar punk fiction, but I haven't really written fiction seriously before, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> awesome. Besides research, any other examples where personal assistant has made a big difference in how you spend your time? Um, yes, though highly sort of uh, dependent on your personal circumstances. So I'm happy to like share mine, but I'm by no means like a panacea for everybody. Uh, in the last year or 18 months, I know we're recording, but I'm going to say off the record anyway. Um, like my father passed away. Uh, my aunt had a stroke. I got married. My then fiance like moved across the country. Um, it, there's just been like an enormous number of life things that have happened. Um, like new rental properties to take care of, like all that in addition to transitioning the career, publishing the new book, starting another, another book, starting a fun, like some part accidentally, partly on purpose. I just went from like two and a half jobs, which is kind of my normal to like five and a half jobs, which is like just fucking way too much. Um, and so he was really, really helpful in some of those things where it's like, hey, we need to replace a window at a rental house. Can you go get me some quotes? Like, you know, find the companies, call them, tell them the thing, give me the quotes. And like, that is three or four hours of very annoying work that like he can just go do for me and then I can make the decision. Um, we started um, th through Athena. Actually, they have somebody there who is using their EA to run the whole their whole like kitchen and grocery process. So they like pick a few recipes they want to make that week, and then they're like staples, and they just give that to their assistants. Their assistant does all of the like grocery shopping through Instacart, and the groceries are just like delivered twice a week um, after like a short conversation. Like that was pretty cool. Um, a ton of help in like planning travel and honeymoon. Like we're doing a honeymoon, and so like. Um, there's research for the book there's research for life there's um it's helpful writing sometimes too like um athena has a pretty cool voice app so i can just like pull up a voice thing and be like hey um you know fabian asked a great question i'd love to send him this book do you mind like drafting an email um that says this this and this or hey i'm going to talk for five minutes will you turn this into a rough very rough draft of a blog post um and then like share the google doc with me and i'll go through and edit later so there's just um I mean, it could be a long list. He helps, for me, the podcast, like the podcast literally would not get published without him. You know, I record and then I say, hey, I'm good. And like a combination of Ivan, Ivan is my EA and Johnny, who's the podcast editor, like basically take everything from there. And I go from completed conversation to published episode with like just a quick review of like the show notes and the email. Um, so like the podcast would be impossible without without him. And I just wouldn't have even attempted including it in my life um, and a bunch of good stuff has come from the podcast. Like in some ways that has enabled the fund and some ways it's enabled like conversations with authors that I really liked. Um, it might have an impact on like how well the book does in the future. Like it might become a business unto itself though. It is r currently roughly break even. So like stuff like, like stuff like that when I was in the, and I still am in the mindset of like, you know, compounding leverage it's like i'm not gonna have less of those like 10 to 20 dollar an hour things that simply must get done to enable the other stuff um like this is this is the right move and it absolutely has been for me um, there's a bunch of other ways to do it you don't have to go like sort of full-time dedicated but for me that was i think the right choice awesome thanks eric thanks for sharing that yeah like, that's super helpful um any follow-up questions on that well, I do have one. Uh, just uh, yeah. how long have you been with this uh, Ivan 
uh, assistant like uh, it's been like a lot of months like did it take a, a bunch of time to train him like to work well with you and like uh, what you need things like that and like how would you also feel about like the private stuff that you're sharing with him all those yeah. things like that uh, yeah yeah we just um so we just had our one year anniversary it's very exciting so we've been we've been going about a year he uh so athena what i like about they hired they aggressive they had i think they had like eight thousand applications like per week for a while so like and they hire 50 or something so like very very high um bar for who they hire and then they train them on like how to be an ea for a, at least three or four weeks and then they they asked me like what tools I use. I'm like, all right, I use Google Docs, I use Notion, I use Airtable. I use... And they're like, all right, cool. We'll do another like week or two of just like training him on these tools. Um, and then then at the same time, they're training me on like, you must use one password, you must use this, you must use this. And like getting me set up and like sort of prepared to hand over some of the control and some of the playbooks. And then they introduce us and sort of merge us together and then like guide both they like train him to onboard me and like prepare me to actually like sort of share the reins we do a fair bit of this in the podcast um so I totally if you're if you're at all considering it like i recommend listening to that it is a little difficult at first to like i'm very like i'm from the midwest in the u.s that is very like we are a very like self-sufficient sort of like independent i can do it all myself kind of culture um and it was very difficult for me to like delegate you know feel like i can like assign work and he's like you know so we went through a lot of that and he's like you like give me work like i work for you i want to feel useful i want to do hard stuff i want to be like maximum impact for you so like don't be afraid to challenge me and so we worked through like handing off bigger and bigger and bigger stuff um to the point now where i can you know pretty large scale projects and be like, hey migrate my blog from you know medium to squarespace i don't know how to do it i expect you to go learn and he's like, okay, cool. I got you. So like that, that was an early project that we did. And starting with a big project like that, I think really helped. Um, cause he always had something to work on. I didn't have to like think really hard about what to assign him every day or every week. But yeah, Athena does a quite a good job with that. And it, there's a bunch of other services out there. Some do part-time, some do just matching some, um, but he's got like a community now. So like he's part of a cohort that got hired together. There's hundreds of EAs that all sort of know each other. And so like, he's got a social, like a work social life outside of me and friends and managers and like sort of a feedback loop where like you know i tell his uh, like his coach will email me every once in a while and be like you know how are we doing what's the feedback what do i need to teach him so like that, all that kind of stuff is very really very cool nice i want to do a quick time check um we're four minutes past oh. the hour i want to respect eric's time and so um i'm sure there's a couple other questions but should we should we cut it now for you eric or are you done to take one or two? um i'm i'm okay yeah i'm okay for another little while if anybody else wants to like hang out Okay, maybe we'll go as to the 15. As long as the host is okay, keeping the Zoom open. Yeah, sure. Okay. I think uh, I think V Vibe had one uh, had unmuted earlier. Yeah, yeah it's Vib. Yeah, it's Vib. Vib. Uh, ah, the only pronunciation I didn't guess. It's all good. That's not my real name. That's one third of my name. The real one is too long for people to get right, so it's Vib. Um, vibe master. Curious. Yeah, exactly. It's three fourths of Vibe. Yeah. If that's how I introduce myself. Um, uh, curious to know, like, how would you say? Like, how Twitter has changed your life or how important would you say like a Twitter following has been in your career? You mentioned that, you know, followers is a form of leverage, but would you rather have like subscribers or both? Like, how do you view Twitter as a tool, I guess? I'm going to give you two equally true answers. Twitter has been instrumental in my life and career, I think. I got on Twitter in 2008 or nine, maybe. Um, and have like very kind of slowly built the following over a long period of time. I have been able to meet and, you know, travel and get to know amazing, amazing people through it. Um, it was a little bit of early sort of like pr proof of work, proof of not an idiot, proof of interested in the same stuff that you are. Um, and some of my closest friends now I have met through Twitter. Um, you know, it's how I became friends with like, I don't know, like a, a lot of people. And I don't think... You know, I, I have no idea to what extent Naval just like looked at my Twitter and was like, yeah, this kid's legit. Like he's been working a long time. Like he's not a dummy. Like I'm fine giving him my Twitter archive and saying and providing encouragement. Like, I don't know that he would have done that for somebody with 40 followers and a goose egg, but maybe he would have, um, or the Twitter egg or whatever. Yeah. Bird egg. Um, 
I don't think that's still the default photo, but you know what I mean? I, so I think that's, I think it has been really meaningful in some of those ways. Um, and I don't want to discount it or say that it was unimportant. Um, I think it's in some ways it is like easier than ever to start now. And like, I've seen friends start and go to a hundred thousand followers immediately by doing like crazy copywriting, hacky, maximally like fully Mr. Beast moding it and like make careers out of it. And I still think there's great people on there. I think it's, uh, it's impact has probably diminished slightly, like in the context of other things, like now that I'm doing, like, I don't think a Twitter followers equal to an email subscriber. Like I think an email subscriber is worth a lot more, but I think one of the best ways to get an email subscriber is to like be on Twitter. Um, so I, like it is a little bit of a dance there. Um, but I know plenty of people with like wildly successful, happy careers that don't spend all day on Twitter. And I, I actually find myself spending a little less time on there now that I kind of am like found my groove. It's, it's, it's a very, like, it's a great explore mode. Um, you find like-minded people, you can get connected, you see crazy new ideas and like, I don't know that it, like, I, I don't want to understate it, but I don't want to overstate it. Like if that, <laughs> if that, if that like makes sense. It's been instrumental. Can, it's yeah, it's been instrumental, um, but you can also waste a shitload of time. And it it is um it is like the definition of like play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Like I guess I would say like it's important, but don't let it be the only thing that you focus on or that you do. Um, because you can still get like platform rugged incredibly hard. You can build the wrong kind of following, you can build a following that isn't like very valuable or like I but you don't even need to build a following to like, you know be successful on Twitter. You could be a consumer and just like get the best out of Twitter, but like be very intentional about how you do it because Twitter does not have your best interest at heart particularly. And it's getting increasingly like opinionated about the shit that it shows you and who and how. Like I only, I, I mostly follow lists and read that that are pretty well curated. I use the latest only feeds so I don't just see whatever Twitter wants me to see um, through like the home feed. Um, and, and I use it to try to I literally try to make friends with it. Like I want to find people that I want to be friends with. I want to go offline, have one-on-one -on -one conversations with them. Like it, it is, uh, it is the beginning. It is not the whole of the, of the work, if that makes sense. Kind of in line with my experience. I don't use the app. I use the mobile browser that I force myself to spend less time on Twitter. I do too. Like, yeah. I only yeah. use Twitter on my phone through Safari now because uh, I'm like, this is terrible. I want to close it and go do something else. I'm, I am like almost happier the less time I spend on Twitter these days, um, which I think is a, like, uh, which is why I'm like a little cautious to be like, yeah, it changed my life. You should go spend all day on it. Cause like that may have been more true six years ago than it is now. Nice. I have a question about, uh, you were talking about leverage and, and continued reinvesting in longer and longer levers and how that's led to tremendous success for a lot of people. And it makes me think about the discipline that's required and actually to do that. And so I'm curious of your thoughts about the interrelationship between discipline and, and leverage and uh, how you kind of stay disciplined and motivated. Yeah, um, it's a good question because leverage is, um, I always hesitate to like be like, yeah, leverage, go, great. This is all gravy um, because it, it, uh, increases, it increases the danger mode of like, the game that you're playing um like you can fail harder and faster and if you reinvest in leverage without successfully increasing your earnings like you buy the tractor and then don't use it as a lumberjack or like buy it and then crash it like you depending on like your margin of error and how much you reinvested and how successful you needed to be over what time horizon to like stay liquid as a business owner like there are times when you can reinvest in leverage and sort of get more leisure out of it but there's also times and ways that you can reinvest in leverage and like you better work your ass off or like you have made your situation worse, not better. Like you have doubled down and you need to perform and achieve and like have this outcome in order to reach that new level. It is definitely a double-edged sword. Um, and you can, you can hurt yourself more playing with more leverage than you can without it. And that is not, that is not always, um, you know, that is true of financial leverage for sure. Like if you're taking debt in like the traditional, like the wall street, phrase of the word leverage um that is definitely true but it is also true with like what is the impact if you tweet something that like people do not like that is an off-color opinion 
with a hundred followers versus a hundred thousand followers, like you can get socially wrecked with a big following way, way quicker than you can with a small following because nobody cares. And um, if you have a big team and you fire the wrong people or, you know, they leave, like just like life can fall apart way faster um, in, in some cases, or it gets harder to manage. So I think um, maintaining some discipline around like the right ratio of leverage to your skill or your confidence or the, the capital that you have, you know, stashed to like weather and, and watch that leverage compound. Like um, I would not spend my last dollar on hiring an EA because that might take six months to pay off. Um, you know, unless you're putting them to work immediately as like, so that you can book more hours as a, um, you know, as an agency that you're running and that like turns into immediate cash flow, right? Like there's so much to these contexts and every individual decision that like, it's, it's very difficult to have a prescription other than like, be slightly careful um, and, and try to really understand the investment that you're making um, or, or the risk that you're taking and, and know when you're making the kind of bet that you need to run faster and when you're making the kind of bet that you can, can slack up the pace, like those are, they're different things. Uh, as a, a, like, you know, if you, I have a friend who took on, um, he bought, he was in like the permanent, uh, the, the private equity thing and he had had a bunch of jobs, but he took on debt, a big loan, a personally guaranteed loan to buy, I think it was a countertop creation business. Um, and he moved his whole family across the country, took a personal line of debt, built this business. And so he like huge capital leverage, suddenly had a team of 20 people that he had just met and all the customers and like the seller, like he was in the maximum, like he had added a ton of leverage, but he had also exposed himself to a massive downside really quickly. And he's like, this is the hardest year I've ever worked in my life. I have never had more on the line. I spent 20 years preparing for this moment and like getting ready to make this bet. But this is like, I have never worked harder with more at stake. That's a little different than, you know, I worked really hard for a few months to like get into an angel investment that you're like, okay, the founders are taking this money and running with it. I would work hard to save the money and to put it in, but like now I'm fine. Or I published this, you know, I created this course. I worked really hard to sell it. Now I sold this course and now I have all this capital and like, okay, now I can slow, I can take a step back and like figure out how to apply this capital to the next thing, but I'm not like having to sprint to keep alive the leverage that I just invested. Like I'm at a point where I can stop. So yeah, that, that's, I don't know. Is that the best answer I have for that, for that question? I think, does that speak it to does. the thing that you were hoping to hear? Okay. It does. Well, we're at the 15 mark, so I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I will, I'll give you just like kind of like a hyphenated thing. Part of that question is just like, I'm curious from the tactical perspective, just like, how do you stay motivated? Because when you identify what the high leverage action is, then you have to actually, you know, take it on. You have to, in, in a disciplined manner, kind of go after all this stuff. And it seems like you're somebody who's got the discipline to, to actually remain on point with all of these things. Do you know what I'm saying? And it, it takes some sort of a motivation to actually be properly pursuing all of these things in their proper order. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um... Yeah, I'd say there's there's like trade-offs between it's also trade-offs between lifestyle, right? You're like there's there's high leverage stuff that like you may not want to do, and that's totally fine, right? There is definitely like I, I I can't I can't not work and I also don't want to not work, like especially at this stage in my life. Like I'm I'm inc very and increasingly picky about the kind of work that I want to do, but I that I think is good, it's good for my lifestyle and my happiness and you know, I have a long list of projects that I think are good ideas. And some of them are potentially even higher leverage, like companies to start that are like, oh, that would probably be successful. But like, would I, is it better for the world or better for me that I do that than go like write this next book? Like, probably not. Like, I, I wouldn't be happier trying to start that company. And even if I think it would like make more money or whatever, it's not it wouldn't have the impact or it wouldn't have like the personal day-to-day -day rewardingness for me of like doing this other thing instead. So um, I, I think it is important to not always like there's a stage of your life where, and I went through this, where you totally like optimize for income, like over almost everything. Um, I think it's hopefully not super, super long depending on, you know, what, what else you're doing, but also if you, if you don't feel like 
you have to do that. Like, great. Like, you can make way better like lifestyle decisions as soon as you're out of that. So, um, I don't think the pursuit of leverage is the pursuit of, you know, the biggest financial outcome that you can. And I don't think any of the people that we were sort of following or talking about or studying would would say that that's what they did, um, sort of at any point. But you know, yeah, to me, like, I want to add, I could hire more assistants, but like, I don't know what they would do aside from ask me more questions and like <laughs> not have enough work to do that is not and i probably could go get a high paying job or sell more stuff or you know like I, there's just use leverage in a way that suits you like in, in the lifestyle that you want like i wanted on friday a friend called me and was like i'm going to costa rica tomorrow i have a spare room in the house like do you want to come with and i was like sure like I can leave the country on 24 hours notice and like come hang with you in Costa Rica for the week and still do what I need to do or push everything from that week out of that week. Uh, that's a, that's a great life. There's a lot of stuff that you, there's a lot of decisions that like, or a lot of paths that are potentially optimal paths that you can't take if you want to maintain like sort of that optionality. And to me, like that is a good use of leverage is like everything stays on the rails, but I am still free to kind of do what I want, but I'm still having an impact and still, hopefully like doing good and creating that positive things and supporting all the ideas that I believe in while I, while I do all that. Nice. So it's kind of relative to the aspirational lifestyle that you have you thought through. For sure. Love it. Okay, great. So yep. we've kept you, uh, we've kept you 20 minutes past the hour. Thank you for being generous with your time. Of course. Um, yeah, if you guys, uh, know how to get hold of me, I'm relatively easy to like email or Twitter DM. So if you have questions that I didn't answer here or whatever, um, feel free to holler at me and I'm happy to kind of do my best and I don't know, it was uh, interesting and helpful. And I think we're all carrying the biology flag to some extent or another. So I, <laughs> hope, you, I hope you're uh, interested to see the book when it, that comes out and can help, uh, help get some new people to drink the Kool-Aid. Definitely. We'll all be reviewing it when it comes out for sure. Guaranteed. <laughs> and, Perfect. Uh, Appreciate it. Yeah. It's an honor to have you here and thank you, Cam, for bringing Eric as well. It was excellent. Awesome. Thanks guys. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate yep. it. Catch you later. Keep, keep writing those essays. Dig them. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you.